0: Uh, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, this morning we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. So if you can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, the Bible's where you're seated. I think it's page 525. Uh, the print is really small, so I feel like we're on that page for months. So um, please turn in this. We've already said uh, this prayer together, but I'd like for you to just have it open before you as we look at this. Last week we looked at Uh, Jesus' call uh, for us to pray, that it's a command that he calls us to pray to our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father who is gracious and giving and desires to hear us. Uh, And this, what we're going to look at here is what is the character or content or form of this prayer? What what should this prayer look like? And it's good for us to know Jesus does not say, this is how you pray. He says, pray like this. So this content, uh, these are things that that Jesus calls us to pray about, the content of this prayer. If you're praying about things that are not directly within this content, it's okay. Uh, We are called to pray uh, in line with with God's will, and God's will is revealed uh, in Scripture. And so this prayer begins, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, it's so interesting to me, and I think I bring this up often on Sunday mornings, is when we we read things, uh, we read them through our Western American context. And we hear them and think, oh yeah, Father, God, Father, yes, that's sort of a common thing we understand in America. Uh, To the first century Jews, this was a shocking statement that anyone would call God Father. It was foreign to them. Uh, throughout the whole Old Testament, uh, God is called Father only 14 times. And it's always in the context of God is the Father of the nation of Israel. So it was a national identity. It wasn't an intimate, individual, or uh, community identity. It was a national identity. So for Jesus to say, this is how you pray, pray our Father. He doesn't even say The Father. He creates this closeness. And this is how we're to pray. Our Father. This title of God as Father was new. And then Jesus always used this term anytime he prayed. Father. That was his calling upon God when he prayed. What's really fascinating to me is the one time that Jesus did not use this intimate name for God Father, The only one time he did not use this is when he's on the cross and he feels the burden and shame of your sin and my sin. And he calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the only time that Jesus did not call on God as his father, this intimate relationship. He called, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he felt shame. I think we do the same thing. Uh, We have this real distant understanding of God as father. And it could be for many reasons. It could be that you really had a horrible earthly father. Uh, It could also be that you feel shame and condemnation from any kind of authority. And so when there's an authority, you want to separate this authority. You don't want to have a relationship with this authority. But God is so drastically different Than any authority that we have here on earth. And God says. Call me father. And so when Jesus says. Our father. He's including all of us. Who believe in Jesus. As children of God. That we have this great inheritance. That we are brothers and sisters. In this faith. Also this calling of our father. It tells us we're not alone. He is. Our Father. Uh, he, he is my Father, but He is our Father. Uh, and our tendency is to focus on the I in our life and to forget the corporate community sense of uh, who God's people is called, who God's people are called to be. He is our Father. And so as you look around the room, you can realize, yeah, He's that person's father too, and that person's father too. Uh, you are special, but you're no, spe- you're no more special than anyone else here who calls upon God as their father. You're not alone. You're not alone. This is a significant thing. Just to realize, though you might be sitting here alone, you are not alone. Because Jesus comes to meet you, and as Jesus meets you, he provides a community of people who are calling on the same God as you're calling on. And the same needs and hurts and frustrations and uh, brokenness that you desire to pray about, all these people here who are calling on the same Father desire to pray about the same thing. I think one of the things that is so encouraging in our faith is that we are not alone not only is Jesus Emmanuel, he is God with us, that we look around the room and we see there are other people here too. He is our Father. And he is our Father who is in heaven. Uh, There is a distinction between creator and creature. Between the uh, God who was never created... And you and I, who are bound by time, we've all, we, everyone was created. Everything was created. There's a huge separation, which is interesting because we call God as Father, this intimate uh, name for our Father. But also, He is in heaven. He is so beyond us that we cannot comprehend Him unless He meets us. And He does and he meets us in Jesus and in redemption and in forgiveness our father in heaven and the first petition in this prayer is hallowed be your name so if we have if we see god as father and he is our father we're not alone because we have not only do we have god with us we have people with us who have the same faith that we do And then we see that he is in heaven. He is vastly beyond what we could ever comprehend. Then it really makes sense that the first uh, thing we ask is that his name would be called holy. That he would be separate. That we would understand that he is so far beyond us in perfection and holiness and righteousness. And what we desire is for his name to be famous which goes against the things that we tend to practice. And even the song we just sang, my comfort, my one comfort both in life and death, is that I am not my own. I was bought with blood and I confess, I belong to you alone. This is God. And God meets us and he calls us to pray with these characteristics. He is Father He is our Father. He is holy. what, What that propels us to do is to make his name famous, that we would call his name holy, and the people around us, as we grow in what it means to call his name holy and to live actively in that, he calls the people around us to do the same thing. And they do that by seeing how you and I interact with God, our Father. J.I. Packer says, if you want to judge, which to me is an interesting comment, we'll just skip over that. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that promotes and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well. For everything that Christ taught everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old everything everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God so what what does understanding these things what does this How does this propel us then to pray? How does understanding that God is our Father, that he's holy, that uh, we as a we, as an us, call on him? And we call on him that that he would make his name holy. What does that drive us to pray for? If we're really honest and think about the things we pray for, that probably is not the center of the things we pray for. We uh, have this tendency to pray uh, a lot about our own comfort and safety and uh, growth of whatever it is, wealth, a, a house, a parking spot, whatever these things are. But here, we're dealing with the God of creation who is our Father, And we are called to make his name holy and famous. And how does that drive our prayer? And so what we have in the next section is Jesus explaining in these quick little lines, this is what this means, that God is our Father who's in heaven and his name is to be holy. What does that mean? First, we pray for his kingdom and not ours. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is not a prayer for earthly comfort, but a prayer that God's holiness and righteousness and justice will be seen in a broken world. Psalm 24 says, for the earth is the Lord's and all the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. God has a sovereign purpose and he is executing his plan in this world. And his plan goes beyond our earthly prosperity. His plan, his name being made holy and famous, goes well beyond uh, the longevity and health of your life. Uh, His calling for his name to be holy goes well beyond Uh, you getting a better job. Those things are important and we long for those things. But God's name can be made holy even though those things might not come to fruition. And in my own life, I've had to face the real reality of that. And many of you have done the same thing. We realize God's name is to be holy, that he is the righteous one, that he has a plan. He is the one who gives comfort. In the midst of whatever situation you are in, he can work out his holiness and righteousness in the midst of that. God uses his plan. God uses prayer to work out his sovereign plan. Do you ever think about that you could be uh, the answer to someone 's prayer, uh, just think about it in your neighborhood that your say your neighbor 's parents who uh, are Christians and have prayed that their their daughter and her husband would uh, come to know the grace that is provided in Jesus, and you move in right next door to them you you could easily be the answer to their prayer. Do you ever think that uh, us as a church, we're just approaching our third year, uh, that we are the answer to someone's prayer that we have never met? That they desired a church to be in this community because they had friends and family in this area and they wanted a place that would be welcoming and embracing of them and would show them justice and mercy. And here we are. We're not here because we thought of this great idea. I truly believe that we are here because people prayed and God placed it on our hearts to show up and be involved in this community. And we're here. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer for God's love and mercy to extend through us. That all people would know and experience God's mercy. And how do they know and experience God's mercy? It's you and I in relationships with them. That's how they experience. That's how they experience that uh, our Father is merciful and his kingdom is one of fighting injustice, extending mercy, being generous with our time and possessions, all the while pointing people back to the real reason that we do these things. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Second, we ask uh, for him to sustain us and for our contentment in his provisions. That God would sustain us and that we'd be content with what he provides. Verse 11 Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This prayer is not give me or even give them. It is us. Which is really fascinating because at the core of this prayer, it's not uh, a prayer that points to our own need it points to a corporate need. Give us our daily bread. Uh, and we can all probably hear, pray that prayer, and know that we can, come, we can go home and you can live out of your pantry for, I don't know, a week? Easily. Uh, but if it's an us, it goes beyond these walls. How do we care for the global Christian community When we pray this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Are we realizing the action that we are calling ourselves to by praying this prayer? This is a a prayer that immediately calls us and propels us to be generous. And helping the us. And the us isn't just the people within these walls. The us is anyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the us that we're praying about. How are we generous as individuals in a community to our Christian brothers and sisters who suffer and who lack things that we take for granted? How does this prayer propel us to be generous? Our individual desires are unseated, by the us of this prayer. Our our plea for daily bread is a plea for the person next to you to have what sustains them. It's not just a selfish, uh, give me what I need. Uh, It is give us our daily bread. And then it's forgive us our debts. So not only do we pray uh, give us what we need as a community so that we can help us that are spread across this globe. Uh, we pray that uh, we would that forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Which means that like weekly as we confess our sin and read through a corporate confession, have time of silent confession, that's time for you to deal with God. And confess your sin and be immersed and drink deeply of his grace. So we know as a community that at least one time a week, you are confessing your sin. You are letting, letting God's Holy Spirit search your heart. And you're actively taking part of this. And you're understanding God's promise to forgive you. But this is a prayer to be a forgiving people. That we will continually receive God's forgiveness and extend this first within the Christian community. That we would be generous with forgiveness. We would understand that as individuals we sin and we are called to repent and trust in Jesus and his completed work. But then as we gather together, we understand that your sin and my sin all have an effect on our community because we're an us. So when you and I sin in secret as an individual, the lie that we believe is no one knows and it's okay. The truth is you're a part of the us, and we care. And we care because God cares, and God wants to extend forgiveness to you and grace to you. But the way we actually sometimes receive and understand that grace is looking at the people around us and the level of forgiveness that they give to us. And that's the mirror that we hold up and think, oh, this is how someone forgave me. So this is what the God they serve acts like and lives like and extends mercy like. How are we a graciously forgiving community? First request here is for forgiveness. And for this to be extended to others, we need to understand that forgiveness is a costly activity. Forgiveness is not based on emotion. God does not sit in his heavens and think, I feel emotion, I want to extend emotion of grace. I want to emote something to people. Uh, No, God's forgiveness is real, it's just, it's legal. There's a cost, it's been paid for, and we have a book that is written about it. It is something real. But our tendency as we deal with each other is to treat forgiveness completely different. And we say, gosh, I'd forgive you, but, you know, I just don't, I don't feel like forgiving you. I don't have the feeling yet, so I'm not going to extend that to you. <laughs> that is nothing like God's forgiveness. We're making up our own understanding of what that forgiveness is. But we are right that it's hard. And we are right that we do not want to forgive because it's costly. Say I borrow a glass bowl. And I think of glass bowls because in this past week, we've broken three in our kitchen. So don't loan me one. But pretend like you do. You loan me a glass bowl and I break it. And I hand it back to you in a bag and say, hey, thanks for the bowl. I broke it. I'm sorry. And you, uh, you are gracious and loving towards me. And you say, you know, I forgive you. Um, our relationship is we're restoring something here, but the glass is still broken. Uh, There's no magic in forgiveness that all of a sudden, boom, this bowl is going to be made perfect again. If so, we'd forgive everybody because it would be easy and it would be this trick we could show people. But it's still broken. And so begins the work of me restoring your trust that when you loan me things, I will be more careful. And you understanding there's a cost to this. And so, together, what are we going to do about this? Here's this bowl that's broken, and I don't know, say it's worth $100. What's going to happen? Here's the cost. Who's going to pay it? The, The forgiveness that Jesus offers, he pays for. The cost is paid for. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He not only says, I forgive you. He says, here's the cost of this, and I am going to take it. And he takes it by his perfect life and death and resurrection. In our confession of sin, our assurance of pardon says, if we confess, can you read it? I'll turn it towards you. That was silly, wasn't it? (laughs) Um, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God forgives you because of, uh, he forgives your sin, not only because he is faithful, but he is faithful to his promise to be just. The work of Jesus is a just act. He took, Jesus took all the punishment for your sin upon himself. Because God the Father desires to have a relationship with you. And so when we talk about forgiveness, this is our example of forgiveness that it is paid for by Jesus, and we look at God's justice and we know it's paid for because God is just. It wasn't a feeling God had, it wasn't a thought that He had. He forgives you and me because He is just and he loves you, and he's gracious. Then verse 13 says, lead us not into temptation. Again, us. This is us. What part do you and I play in each other's obedience and holiness? What, what part do we play? What does it look like that you and I have, re- have a relationship And you have a relationship with other people who who understand God's forgiveness. And you are propelled toward uh, living a life of holiness. Not because your forgiveness depends on it, but because you have been forgiven. You're propelled toward this holiness, this life of obedience and of grace and extending generosity toward people in relationships and forgiveness and mercy we do this because we're an us. So this prayer is not this individual prayer. This prayer incorporates who we are as people. And third, we ask that our life would reveal how God relates to humanity. And this passage ends with, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Look, it shifts from us to a them. The us that is created because of the work of Jesus, this community of believers, is never complete. And it's never complete and never finished because there are always other people who do not understand it. There are other people who cannot say, forgive us our debts because they do not know the forgiveness that's in Jesus. So this is a prayer of the mission of God. And what is this mission? It extends for God to create this kingdom that you and I are a part of because of Jesus. And we're to be people who extend mercy and grace and justice, we're generous with all things that we have. We pray that God would provide everything we need. We would be content in this. Because this is what the joyful life is called to be. And so we begin to uh, forgive people who do not believe what we believe. We're extending this grace and generosity. And we're praying that God would incorporate them into this family. Anytime we talk about them, a biblical way to talk about them, people who do not believe the way you and I believe, is always loving and gracious and wanting to include them. Because that's what Jesus does. And that's why we're here. That's the only reason why we're in us. Is that Jesus extends his mercy and embraces and includes people. You'll notice the prayer that we said uh, together. And then the prayer here that's in your uh, Bible leaves out a phrase. Um... It's the, the phrase that we usually say when we say the Lord's Prayer is, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That was added. It's not a scriptural um, part of this text. Uh, but in the same way, there's nothing bad about it. It really summarizes this prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So what it does, we begins with God's holiness and who he is. He is Father. And then we list these are our concerns. And then this ending that was added later really points us back to the beginning that God is the only one that's going to provide all of these. Because he is the one who is powerful. And we see here that God as our Father, our mission is simply to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So how do you glorify God and enjoy him by the things you pray for? How do you Glorify God and enjoy him by probably being the answer to someone else's prayer. Not only as a person who can give them time, but as someone who can extend resources, be a good, loving neighbor. This prayer is to cause a longing for all things to be made right. And in this prayer propels us to action. This is not just something we say that we can memorize and we can move on and think that we've done something great because we've repeated this. A Prayer moves us to do something, and it moves us to action only when we know what is the thing that really propels us, and it is God's mercy and God's grace. So simply, what is this prayer? It's a prayer for God to be honored as the Holy One, for people to work toward reconciliation, because that is God's mission, for our desire to be shifted from ourselves to others, for the center of our life to be loving God and loving others and extending forgiveness. That's what this prayer is. And so I think it's only right that as we close uh, this time and come to the Lord's table, that we say the Lord's Prayer together. Let me pray, and then we'll repeat this together. Lord God, you are the God of mercy. Uh, Jesus, we thank you that you, uh, you humbly uh, direct us uh, to words and content and character of prayer. And we thank you that uh, God the Father is a God who listens and hears. And we thank you that we can come to you with our prayer.